on top of the mountain, which is traditionally associated with this strange event that we call the Transfiguration, there's a church. It's really quite a beautiful church. And yep, you guessed it. On one side is a chapel dedicated to Moses. On another side, a chapel dedicated to Elijah. And in the center is the altar, which is dedicated to Jesus. Three booths, just like Peter suggested. I kid you not. <laughs> and poor Peter, he always seems to have foot in the mouth disease, saying the wrong things, stumbling over his tongue. And this time, you know, something really quite extraordinary has happened. He doesn't know what to say, so he says the wrong thing. Or maybe for him it's the right thing. Think about it. Picture what it might have been like. Jesus says, come, climb up here with me. You know, that sounds good, nice day. Let's get away from the crowds. Let's look out over the fields below. These men walk a lot, so the climb is really very easy. They arrive at the top, take a deep breath, and the glare hurts Peter's eyes. He shades them against the sun, but it's not the sun that's shining so brightly. It's his friend. And then suddenly there are two other people with him. Where did they come from? From the past, Elijah and Moses. Elijah and Moses? What's going on here? Jesus, this is great. Well, no, not really. I'm scared to death. I'm out of my depth. Let's get some control over things here. Let's bring this back to reality. I know what, let's put up some buildings. Something we can touch and feel and understand. Something that's real. So here's Peter confronted with an unearthly moment, something way beyond his experience or his understanding, what would you do in such a moment? And what is happening? Moses and Elijah, you know, they are the towering figures of the Old Testament, giants in the faith, but men who had also found themselves on top of mountains facing deep discouragement. Moses had brought the stone tablets carved by the very finger of God down to his people, only to find, what are they doing? They're worshiping and dancing before the golden calf. They've made an idol. God had brought them from slavery to freedom. He'd brought them all the way across the trackless desert. And is their response gratitude? No, rejection and the worship of the very first God that they could find. So Moses trudges back up to the top of Sinai, wondering if the people would ever, ever learn. And yet, you know, God was willing to try again. And he sent Moses back with yet another set of stones. And then there was Elijah. There'd been this dramatic confrontation on Mount Carmel with the priests of Baal, and it only led to superficial changes, not the deep conversion of the heart that really lasts. So Elijah, discouraged, fled to Sinai, and the wind and the fire and the still small voice of God. Another assignment for Elijah, another try on the part of God. Moses and Elijah, men who had learned the hard way that changing lives was an almost impossible task. Moses had brought the laws, Elijah, the great prophetic tradition of one who speaks in God's name. 
Moses and Elijah, we call them the law and the prophets, and together they represent two of the ways in which God had tried hard to reach out to the people whom God had chosen. And now there's yet another way. And Jesus, too, has his times of discouragement. He trudged up and down the dusty roads of Palestine, teaching and teaching, and, you know, even his closest friends don't seem to understand him. And now he faces the hardest part of all, for he knows what waits for him in Jerusalem. In the face of that, he meets with Moses and Elijah. Their ways were good, but not good enough. And so what do they say to each other? This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And the voice doesn't belong to Elijah or to Moses. This is the voice of God. Listen to him. Yet I just read the story and Jesus doesn't speak, does he? Never says a word. But what has he said before this time? And what is it that Peter is to listen to? And that's the part that's so hard for Peter. Jesus has said things that Peter does not want to hear. If you go back a few verses in this, you may have noticed that it, Mark begins by saying, after this. Well, the after this is found a few verses before. And you've probably heard the story before, but maybe not connected it to this strange event. Jesus has been in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, and he puts to them the question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, good old Peter, whose mouth always runs ahead of his head, but so often really speaks of his heart. Peter does give the answer, you are the Messiah. Yes, says Jesus, but that does not mean what you think it does. For me to be the Messiah will mean rejection, not triumph. To be the Messiah will mean death, not glory. It will mean suffering. I kid you not. And do you wonder that Peter did not want to hear that? Do you want to hear it? What is church attendance on Good Friday? And how does that compare with Easter Sunday? I mean, wouldn't we all rather sing, Jesus Christ is risen today, than were you there when they crucified my Lord? No, says Peter, you can't die. And he started to rebuke him. And Peter isn't just scolding or speaking harshly. He uses an interesting word there. It's the word that Jesus uses when he casts out demons. Peter thinks that Jesus is possessed. And he's going to exercise this mad idea. No, this can't be. You're the Messiah. Don't you know how a Messiah is supposed to act? This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Listen to what he said. Don't just hear the words, listen. You can't lock Jesus away in some building, even in a lovely church. You can't keep him captive to your ideas of how he should be and how he should act. Listen to him. He knows what he's doing. He is my son, my beloved. He knows, I kid you not, listen to him. It would be a lot easier to build a church with two chapels and an altar. Even if you have to haul all the materials up to the top of the mountain, it would be easier. 
and how much easier it would be to listen to Moses and Elijah. I mean, don't you have times when you follow Moses and Elijah? You know, laws can be interpreted. Prophets can be discounted. They are, after all, human beings like ourselves. Extraordinary human beings who have greatly influenced the world, but human nonetheless. And they call us to things that are hard and difficult, but not so difficult as picking up your cross and following Jesus to his. But the voice says, this is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. And lest Peter or we miss the reality of who this is, Jesus appears in his post-resurrection glory. Or perhaps it's the glory that he set aside to become one of us. Either way, we see him as he truly is. And if you won't listen to him, this figure who comes from the very throne of God, this figure who is part of God's own being, then what more is there to say? And if indeed there are times when we find it hard and frightening, if there are times when we would rather build and stay put, when we want to control the holy, then in addition to the voice, there is this strange glimpse of Jesus, radiant and filled with glory. And it says to us, yes, he is right when he says he must suffer and die because it will eventually lead to this. And it leads through the suffering, not around it, but through the suffering into death and then into glory. It leads to a life so strong, so powerful, that absolutely nothing can stop it, not evil, not death. I kid you not, it is a strong and powerful life. But the cross is the only way to get there. And it is the way that Jesus has taken. Amen. <laughs>